The sermon we shall share together this morning was prepared by Reverend Stephen Tahart from uh, the Free Reformed Church at Beldavis, Western uh, Australia. And he's chosen as his text, 2 Kings 5. The reading is 2 Kings 5, and so is the text. You'll find that on page 426 of your pew Bible. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria, he was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, <clears throat> Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks and quarrel with me. So it was, when Elijah, <clears throat> the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman <clears throat> went with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored, like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. 
And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now therefore, <clears throat> please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth. For your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods, but to the Lord. <clears throat> Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Rimmon to worship there. And he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimmon. And when I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. And then he said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. But Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman his... Uh, his uh, my master has spared Naaman, this Syrian, while not receiving from his hand what he brought. But as the Lord lives... I will run after him, take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, It's all well. And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver, and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, Please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. And when he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand, stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go, and they departed. Now he went in and stood before his master. Elijah said to him, Where'd you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant did not go anywhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. He went out from his present, leprous as white as snow. Brothers and sisters, has God ever failed you? We believe he never does. But does it ever seem that way? Have you ever had reason to doubt his word? To wonder if he will really give you what he has promised? God's people of Israel did. When the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, the king was removed from his throne. And they were ripped out of their country and sent into exile. Then they asked, what's going on? Have God's promises failed? Is he unable to give us what he promised? 
And as they were struggling with these questions, a book was written, a history of the kings of Israel. And this book makes clear that God never forgets his people, nor does he forget his promises to you. The problem, however, was that God's people had rejected him. They did not wish to submit to his word. And so God warned his people and said, Watch out, Israel. My grace is bigger than you think. If you reject me, then I will turn to the Gentiles. Then my light will shine in the darkness, and the darkness will overcome it. Yes, even your enemies will declare that I am the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, and beside me there is no other. That's what God was doing in 2 Kings 5. As a lesson to Israel and a lesson to you, he caused his promise of deliverance to go out into the wicked city of Damascus and the country of Aram. His word went forth from the small voice of a little Hebrew slave girl. God used this little girl as a forerunner of the coming age when God's plan of deliverance would be spread far and wide, when all nations would be called to believe and the one sent by God to save the entire world. I share with you the word of God under the following theme. God's deliverance is free for anyone who submits to his word. First place we see, humbly seek God's free deliverance. Secondly, faithfully submit to God's way of deliverance. And in the third place, Give an upright response to God's deliverance. It was a quiet, still morning. The birds were chirping, the children were playing, and the parents were working in the fields and in the home. It seemed like this would be like many days that went before. But then comes a sound. It's hardly audible at first, but gets quickly louder. A few people notice and look wearily around. What is it? And then they see a cloud of dust hurrying towards them. And then the sound is unmistakable. It's the sound of horses' feet thundering towards them. The Arameans, someone, someone gives the shouting warning. And everybody tries to flee in terror. But it's too late. The horsemen are upon them. They attack, they kill, they maim. Hurrying, always hurrying. They loot and plunder the city, taking what they can, burning the rest. Then snatching up a few women and children to take as slaves, they rush back to their horses and are gone. A stillness returns to the city, but it is the stillness of death. Things will never be the same again. And the man responsible for all this is a man called Naaman. The name, the name Naaman was enough to bring the cold hand of fear into the hearts of any Israelite. He was the commander of the army of Ben-Hadad II, the king of Aram, and what's today known as Syria. It was the Arameans who had killed Ahab in battle, and even now from time to time they rushed in 
and raided the towns and villages of Israel. While Israel, under King Joram, was losing its strength, the Arameans were gaining the upper hand. It would only be a matter of time before an all-out war between Aram and Israel would happen again. God is doing just as he said he would and is punishing Israel by giving strength to their enemies. This is not to say, however, that the people of Aram appreciated what was happening. The land of Aram was a land of darkness, polluted with idol worship. They did not know who God was. They worshipped a God called Rimmon, another name for Baal. They were wicked. They were bloodthirsty. They had an intense dislike for the nations around them and the laws and customs of Israel. They were proud. They were the masters of the world, the superpower of the day. Their God had given them the victory. They had arrived at the principles of success. As far as Ben-Hadad was concerned, this was all thanks to his God, Rimen, and his right-hand man, the great and well-respected commander of his army, Naaman. This man, Naaman, was good. He was a valiant man, a brave and courageous soldier. As for Naaman, he was top of the world. He had proven that he was great. It was an outstanding success. It was admired, respected, and feared. He had reason to be proud, and proud he was. And as for Israel, well, he had a souvenir from one of his raids against Israel. The souvenir was always around to remind him of how great he was. The souvenir was a little slave girl who served Naaman's wife. Here was a young, gir- young girl, Booty, from a raid, a living testimony of the power and might of Naaman, the military commander. She was a stranger in a foreign land. She had no rights. She was young, a woman, a slave, an Israelite. There was no one lower in the social hierarchy of the ancient Aram. The difference between Naaman and this little girl could not have been greater. But this little slave girl had something that Naaman did not. As for Naaman, he would have been happy except for one thing. Naaman had leprosy, a horrible, loathsome skin disease. Painful, repulsive sores covered his body, and that one thing was enough to turn his life from the grand pomp and splendor to a life of misery. In desperation, Naaman visited every doctor, every magician, every soothsayer could possibly help him. He had access to the best medical care available in the land of Aram. He tried his special diets. He tried special baths. He tried everything, but nothing could help. Nobody at all was able to help Naaman and cure his horrible disease. That would have been enough to make any man in Israel smile. Naaman, it serves you right. You've caused so much grief and misery to God's people, so now you're getting some of that back. God is punishing you with leprosy. 
And do you know what, Naaman? It's not just that leprosy is a horrible disease. Your leprosy is an illustration of your sin. It's God's way of saying that you can never be in his presence. You're a living testimony of what God will do to all of Israel's enemies. God's deliverance, his grace and salvation will never be given to terrible sinners such as you. But not everyone thought that way. In Naaman's household was a young slave girl. And this obscure little girl had the answer to Naaman's problem. She knew how it would be possible for Naaman to be delivered from a skin condition. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. What a witness this girl was. Here she is, a young girl in a strange land, declaring the God of Elijah could heal, that there is a deliverance for the leper, even for the greatest enemy of God's people. Here was a girl who, in spite of her situation, had learned what Peter would later tell the church in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. To always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. God used this young slave girl to sow the seed, to be a missionary, a forerunner of all those who proclaim God's news of deliverance and the God of Israel. As Naaman listens to the words of this young slave girl, a ray of hope begins to glimmer. Where once there was none, Naaman knew full well how wretched his condition was. He'd done all he could to be delivered of his leprosy, but his doctors, his magicians, his gods were not able. Could it be, perhaps, that the nation of Israel had something that Aram, do, Aram does not? Could they be holding the secret to the deliverance from this wretched skin condition? If so, then he would do all that was in his power to get it. Naaman got ready for the 200-kilometer uh, journey into Israel. He was entering the enemy territory to seek deliverance from his leprosy. This was not something to be taken lightly. The pride of his nation was at stake. <clears throat> he could never have seen as one who was groveling, could not be seen as one groveling at the feet of his enemies. That would never do. He could never bow down in humble submission to the king of Israel or his prophet. He would have to display his power and might so that Israel would never forget who was boss, who were the great and mighty ones on earth. Naaman checked his provisions. The men loaded the sacks of silver onto a cam on the camel's backs. One after another, 340 kilograms of silver, 90 kilograms of gold, and then 10 of the best sets of clothing could buy, that money could buy. In today's value, that's more than a million dollars, far more money than was necessary. In addition to this, Naaman brought with him a letter from the king of Aram, a letter that said, 
With this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Naaman was ready. He had the money, he had the letter, wealth and power. He was ready to demand deliverance from his leprosy. But where could Naaman find the deliverance he was seeking? The king of Israel did not know. He tore his clothes in fear. I'm not God. It's all a wicked plot of Ben-Hadad to try to pick a fight with me. King of Israel did not know where to turn in a crisis such as this. He'd forgotten the deliverance is to be found in the Lord and that there was a prophet of God living down the road from the king. A prophet whose very name meant God saves. The prophet of whom that slave girl spoke, Elijah. God's free deliverance was available at the fingertips of the king of Israel all the time. But he never bothered to seek it. In fact, he forgot about it. Elijah gets to hear what's happening, so he calls Naaman to come to his house. So there went Naaman with his entire entourage of horses, camels, servants, an incredible amount of wealth, and a letter from the king of Aram. Here is a man of status, a man of means, and in all his pomp and splendor, he comes to the lowly house of the prophet Elijah and waits for the prophet to come to, out to him, meet him. Naaman is all prepared. He's ready to receive deliverance at the hand of Elijah. Or so he thinks. For Naaman is not at all prepared to meet the prophet of the Lord. He's still proud. He thinks that deliverance from his skin condition can be bought with the authority of a king's letter and with money. But Naaman's wrong, very wrong. The world's money and power will never buy the blessing of God's saving deliverance. In the eyes of God, the gift Naaman brings fades into insignificance. For Naaman to be healed, it will take something other than money. Naaman must become like the little slave girl back in his hometown of Damascus. He must acknowledge something that the king's letter does not acknowledge, that there is a prophet in Israel, a prophet of the Lord Most High. God's deliverance is free, but you must seek it in the right manner. Come to our second point. Faithful sub, submit, faithfully submit to God's way of deliverance. Here was the greatest commander of the greatest army of the world, waiting in front of a lonely house and for an obscure prophet. And then the unthinkable happened. A man appeared, but it was not the prophet. It was his servant. Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. That was it. No interest in the important letter from the king of Aram. No talk about the money. In fact, no interest at all in the gold and silver that he took. Naaman's status, his power, and money faded into insignificance before Elijah, the prophet of God. That did it. 
Enough is enough. The least Naaman could expect was that Elijah would come out to meet him. Voice the right mumble-jumble, roll around on the ground in an ecstatic frenzy, wave his hand over the leprosy, and declare him to be healed. That's what a magician does, right? Do something to force the hand of God to fulfill your wishes. But that does not happen. No great things happen. Nor is Naaman told to accomplish some great deed. Just the simple command to humbly submit to the word of the prophet and wash in the Jordan seven times. And then Naaman saw red. Who did this Elijah think he was? Was he trying to make a laughingstock of Israel's number one enemy? Out of Naaman, wash in the river Jordan to be cured of leprosy? What a preposterous idea. I can't think of anything more ridiculous. That muddy creek could never contain any healing powers. Who does Elijah think Naaman is? The very idea of telling him to go out of his way to stoop down in that muddy creek called the Jordan and wash. He would not even wish to stoop so low as to wash his camels in there. That young slave girl would have something to answer for when he got home. The humiliation of it all. The laughing that would go on, go on behind his back when he got home. Naaman's effort to get healed had all come to this. The muddy Jordan. What a joke. And in a storm of rage, Naaman decides to quit the whole venture and go home. Go and wash seven times in the river Jordan. Naaman could be healed, but only by the power of God. And only if Naaman obeyed the word of the prophet. The God who offers his deliverance freely hates pride. To experience his grace and deliverance, you must first understand your own wretched condition and look to God in your weakness and rely on his strength. God does not care who you are or how great the world thinks you are. It's God who saves, not you yourself. Whether you be an Aramean general or a wealthy Canadian, Australian, American, the poorest peasant or a leper to know any experience God to know and, and experience God's deliverance, you must abandon your pride and submit to his word. Naaman does not do this. He's an obstacle to his own healing by his angry, disappointed reaction to an unbelief. Naaman, there is nothing wrong with God's plan of deliverance. He can heal your skin condition. He's able and is willing. But the problem is you. You're so obsessed about being someone, about being great. You, the great man of Damascus, came here to Israel in order to do something great. You want to earn your healing and be in debt to no one. But consider this, Elijah is saying, no, you can't buy this gift, it's free. But you will only receive it if you humble yourself, submit, and obey. 
Thankfully, Naaman's servants knew just what the problem was. They understood that his pride was wounded, and so he said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? And then Naaman listens. He begins to understand what's, what is going on. And so he goes, and as he travels to the Jordan River, he has time to think. If he's healed then, it's not the prophet who did it. For Elijah is too far away. Nor can it be the water. He could be sure about that. So should he be healed, Naaman will have to find the source of his deliverance somewhere else. The process of being humbled begins. Power of kings, the money of the world have come to nothing, of no account. The great commander Naaman is being led first by a slave girl, then a prophet's servant, and now his own servants. They're pointing to him to do something he did not have. The need for a humble submission to the word of God. Naaman reaches the River Jordan. He was not mistaken. It was really a small river. And the waters were somewhat muddy. Nothing like the crystal clear waters of the rivers back home. But Naaman submits to God's way of deliverance. He begins to dip in the water once, then twice. He must have felt foolish three times. He ducks his head under once again. How can this work? The preposterousness of it, five times. What must his servants be thinking? Isn't this beneath the dignity of a man the caliber of Naaman, six times, once more, and then it happens. Naaman did what the man of God had told him, and now his flesh is restored like that of a little boy. It's as if he is born again, and his skin is smooth and soft, just like, just like the skin of the Israelite slave girl who told him to see Elijah in the first place. And more than that, now Naaman begins to understand what the slave girl knew all along. There is deliverance to be found in the God of Elijah through humbly submitting to his word. Now I know, Naaman tells Elijah, that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Wash in the Jordan and be cured of leprosy. What a preposterous idea. I can't think of anything more ridiculous except one thing. The idea that putting your trust in a man executed on a cross over 2,000 years ago can give you renewed life now. Forgiveness from sin, resurrection from the dead, and eternal life. Now that beats all. God's promise of deliverance requires faith. A true faith that will result in a humble submission to the word of God. God's promise often looks foolish, unbelievable, unlikely, impossible. But God's seemingly foolish commands are once obeyed, 
the power of God for Naaman and for you. Naaman is a changed man. It's not just his skin that has become like that of a little slave girl. His attitude has changed too. He comes back to Elijah, a humbled man. He's learned his lesson. He's no longer a great and mighty man, but the servant of the Lord in Elijah. For there's no God but Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth. It is the Lord alone who is able to help. Once more, Naaman tries to force Elijah to take his money. Not as a payment this time, but as a gift. But Elijah refused. What you, along with Naaman, need to understand is that God does not expect repayment, but merely allegiance and submission. God's grace is free. You can't earn it. You can't repay it. Understand that and make sure that none of you stands in the way of free deliverance that God promises to give to all who follow him. Naaman was shift, has shifted his allegiance from his king and his gods to Elijah and the God of Israel. But now he has to struggle with how this is all going to work in practice. He knows what Israel refuses to accept that you can't not serve the Lord and the false gods of the land in the same time. The Lord demands your total allegiance, and now the work begins for Naaman. His two requests, that he be given some dirt to take home, on which to worship the Lord, and be excused of accompanying the king into the temple of Rimmon to bow down to the false god. Naaman's struggling with the question of how to serve the Lord in a land that is polluted with worshiping other gods. Actually, we have reason to criticize Naaman for his request. Naaman had, come, had some growing to do with respect to the major doctrines of faith, but he is on the right road. He's learning what it means to submit to the word of God. He places himself under the land, the prophet, and the God of Israel. And so Elijah simply responds by saying, go in peace. No, Elijah does not give his opinion with respect to Naaman's request, but he's confident that God, who began a good work in Naaman, will bring it to completion. He would grow spiritually from this point on, and Elijah does not want that flame of faith to be snuffed out. Naaman is a spiritual babe, and thus he must be gently led in the way of truth. Elijah's concern at this point is that Naaman understands that deliverance is granted only by the free grace of God. And as for the rest, of the, ma rest the matter of taking dirt from Israel or bowing down to Rimmon or, for that matter, circumcision or attending the annual feast in Jerusalem, these things will, by the grace of God, soon fall into place. The point is that Naaman is given the right response to God's deliverance. It would be nice if the story ended there, but it does not. Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, is outraged by what he sees. What? Why does my master let this Aramean go scot-free? The lesson taught to Naaman, the grace and deliverance is free, 
was lost on Gehazi. Gehazi is here a picture of what the nation of Israel was like in those times. God wanted Naaman to know his grace, to know that he would not be manipulated by money, nor would he make room for human pride. But Gehazi worked against this lesson. He was putting a price back on the goodness of God. He, who had been entrusted with the message of God's deliverance, now wished to exploit the deliverance for his own gain. He was not interested in submitting to God and his ways. Like the rest of his nation, Gehazi was interested only in himself. The sin of Gehazi obscured the lesson of God's free grace. And so Gehazi needs to learn that lesson again for himself. Gehazi gets something from Naaman, all right. He gets Naaman's leprosy. And he's driven out of the presence of the prophet Elijah and of the Lord forever. Gehazi stood in the way of the work of God's deliverance in Naaman. He became a leper. Which begs the question, what will happen to you if you stand in the way of God's grace and reject in unbelief? Be very careful. Christ warns you about this in Luke 4. Naaman became a sign to Israel and to you all, calling for you to repent. For God's blessing is only found in the path of trusting obedience. God does not owe you a thing. He raises up a people for himself from the east and the west, and they all take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, in the kingdom of heaven, while the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into utter darkness. A little slave girl spoke and professed her faith to God, of the God of the prophet Elijah. She witnessed to the household of Naaman. What a blessing that was to Naaman. For if she had not spoken up, Naaman would have remained in more trouble than a skin condition. He had to have his sin condition, his, his sin condition cared for as well. The little slave girl was used by God as a forerunner of the coming age, when the good news of God's plan for salvation would be spread far and wide. Then there would be a globalization of the gospel message the Lord is calling all the families of the earth, even your enemies, to the same Savior and the same salvation. Nothing can force God to give his gift of salvation, not even status or money. But nothing, nothing at all can stop him from spreading his grace and deliverance far and wide. Therefore, humbly submit to the word of God, and that deliverance will remain with you forever. Amen. Now join in singing from hymn 28, stanza 1, 3, and 5. <clears throat> 